What's going on, everybody? You're listening to Red Man Laughing on redmanlaughing.com. Red Man Laughing is the podcast from comedian Ryan McMahon. What the hell's a podcast? Listen up. We're going to bring you original comedy, funny comedy, native comedy, comedy comedy. This is a comedy podcast, and it starts now. Red Man Laughing on redmanlaughing.com. How's it going, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to this special edition of the Red Man Laughing Podcast. Uh, I'm Ryan. I'm your host. This is my show. This is my little my little internet baby, which is uh, it's an ugly baby, by the way, but I'm trying my best. Uh, this is uh, episode five of season two. Uh, you can get all of the uh, back episodes right on the website if you want to listen to season one. Go on to redmanlaughing.com. Grab season one in its full, complete form, 22 episodes, over 24 hours of programming there. Uh, A lot of incredible guests, some good music, and some funny stuff as well. Uh, If you want to uh, subscribe to this podcast, you can do so right on the website. Do it through email or RSS. You can do that if you roll that way. Or the easiest way, uh, which I say, is uh, just get yourself one of the apps. I have a free app called the Ryan McMahon Comedy app, if you search that in the uh, iTunes store. Or on the Google Play Store for Android, you'll find it. It's completely free. This show uh, ends up on that app, uh, so you can do that for free. Or if you want to put a few pennies in my pocket, you can buy the Red Man Laughing Podcast app, which is available for iOS and Android as well. We we have an incredible show uh, in store for you, and that's why you're listening. So I'm not going to talk too long, only to set up and uh, put some uh, context to what uh, you're about to hear last night uh, uh, at about 12.30 in the morning, uh, Wab, uh, Canoe, and I uh, shared some texts and uh, decided that we, we were going to podcast together anyway, but we decided that uh, this might be a good thing to do. Uh, so we we uh, we put forward our texts to uh, Chief Day and to Pam Palmiter, and uh, Wab was talking with Tanya uh, Capo uh, today. Those are our three guests, of course, on the show this week. And... Um, uh, it, it all just came together. So it all came together. And, uh, <laughs> I, of course, uh, instead of just recording the conversations over Skype, which would have been easiest, I said, well, we should put it live on the internet and get the feedback from everybody and really hear from everybody. This is a, a vital time. Uh, what happened yesterday, of course, at the, uh, uh in Ottawa at the house of commons in the, in the parliament buildings, when our, uh, our, our chiefs made it known that was enough, uh, that enough was enough, Wallace Coffee, of course, at the AFN Special Assembly on the floor, asked that the meeting be adjourned so that uh, people could make their way over there to the uh, to the Parliament buildings to uh, let the voices be heard. And uh, Atlio and the regional chiefs and those in charge uh, agreed and allowed that to happen. Now, <clears throat> when something like this happens, of course, a bunch of questions come up. Well, how? Who led it and why wasn't Atlio in the forefront? And everybody's got all these questions, you know, about about the the goings on and uh, valid questions, of course. And uh, we wanted those questions answered. So we've reached out to a a good panel, people that can bring some perspective uh, to these issues. Uh, But yesterday started out uh, a little bit uh, weird uh, for me, to say the least. Now, knowing uh, the business at hand in terms of Bill C-45, and all of the rest, and, and kind of hearing the whispers that uh, that maybe something would happen at the special assembly this week, uh, I updated my Twitter in the morning, and I said I'm I'm, I'm putting uh, tobacco out and I'm lighting my sweetgrass. 
in uh, in hopes of strength and clear clear minds for our, for our leadership at the AFN. When when I tweeted that, uh, I meant it. And and here's the thing, we know the system's broken. We're we we're well aware of that. It's been broken for many years. I don't think it's ever worked. We've been handed out uh, piecemeal uh, little bits and pieces of funding here and there. But the Indian Act is not our system. We know this, okay? This isn't, this isn't new ground. We know it's not our system. So to uh, Indian country and to people that are happy or don't even think about the Indian Act, it's not our system. It's an imposed system of legislation, okay? It's not ours. It's not our form of governance. It's not our law. And it's not our way of life. We see things very differently uh, where, where we stand. Uh, in Indian country and to Canada that when they go like, well, this is the way it is. Why don't it's not our, this isn't our way. Okay. So when we talk about self-governance and being self-determining, what we're talking about is life post Indian act. Okay. And so in lending that uh, support yesterday, what I say is not uh, giving carte blanche to Indian act chiefs or any of that. What I'm saying is that, I know what they're there to discuss, and I hope for clear mind and uh, strong hearts in doing that work. Because here's the thing. I believe in our leaders. And yeah, there are some crooked assholes out there, for sure. That is for certain. But there are far more, far more good ones than there are bad ones. And we don't focus on that enough. So in yesterday saying that I light the sweetgrass for uh, our chiefs and uh, put out our tobacco, I meant it. And that's the way the day started. By the end of the night, of course, the way yesterday uh, turned out for us in terms of us going to uh, the uh, parliament buildings to uh, speak to those in charge and being shut out and kicked out, uh, uh, ultimately, by the end of the night, I was, you know, I had tweeted at some dude that was, that was uh, clearly trolling me on the internet that I was uh, going to beat the shit out of him with my university degrees in hand and then feed the degrees to him. That's how the night ended. So I, <laughs> I, I ran the gamut in terms of emotion and, and, and all of that kind of stuff uh, yesterday. It was, a, it was a big day. And I think it, it's, it's a day that's, that, that can define us going forward if we so choose. And if we stand behind our words. Now, you can go to my Twitter. I tweeted a lot yesterday because I've got a lot of, a lot of uh, I guess, emotion. I, I was really... Uh, taken uh, by seeing that wampum belt being walked into the the House of Commons, and 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 really being taken back by seeing Chief Day and Chief Patrick Madabi um, and Chief Fox standing in there telling, serving notice that enough was enough, and I felt like that's where I sit uh, today. Now, this obviously isn't about me, but I made a comment yesterday that I'm ready to stand for my people. And I'll look any Canadian politician or citizen in the eyes and tell them, and they will know that I am ready. This is, this is a consensus across Indian country. Many of us are ready to stand and to be counted, and many of us are willing to do the necessary things to make this stand once and for all. This sweeping legislation from First Nation Property Ownership Act to this large omnibus bill that was passed yesterday has huge implications for us uh, on reserve. And there's much more 
uh, to come. And this show going forward, we'll, we'll be using some of the time from this show to talking about those things. And a good point was made uh, this afternoon when I was getting ready for the show. I thought, how the hell did this happen? How did this, this large piece of legislation just sneak up on us? Well, it didn't. It, we've known it was going to happen. We knew it was going to happen for a long time. But unless we're constantly engaged, unless we're constantly pushing back, and unless we're constantly in the fight on the ground, we lose track of time, and these things happen. So here we sit today, Bill C-45 is passed, and we're all sort of picking up the pieces and looking towards the future. And that's what this podcast episode is dedicated to and is being used for. So again, today, my co-host, uh, Mr. Wab Canoe, of course, uh, formerly of the CBC, now uh, employed at the University of Winnipeg, um, joined me today, helped uh, push this discussion forward. We, uh, we live streamed this show on uh, Ustream. You can see that video at ustream.tv slash rmcomedy, or you can go to ustream.tv and just search out rmcomedy. Those links are also on my Twitter. Um, our guests today, uh, Chief Isidore Day from Serpent River, uh, Tanya Capo of the uh, Idle No More hashtag team, and uh, Dr. Pam Palmiter. This was an interesting chat. There's much to talk about. There's much reflection to be had. This is only the beginning of the conversation. Uh, I want to say thank you again uh, for coming here to listen to it. Uh, redmanlaughing.com is the website. Do us a favor. We really appreciate it. Tweet it out. Share it. Post it. Steal it. Do what you got to do. Let's get into it. This is episode five, season two, Red Man Laughing. Whoops. Okay, Ryan's back. All right, feed is live. We'll bond a quick social stream. Okay, it looks like the uh, Ustream chat has already gone bananas. People are there. Yeah, gather the revolution, hand out torches and pitforks, set up gallows on Parliament uh, <laughs> across the Atlantic. Yeah, yesterday, uh, as everything was starting to happen, and hey, and you got your hat. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I'm in between barber visits, so I've got that fuzzy. So am I. All my hair is one length. This is the type of scintillating conversation I'm sure everybody is tuned in to witness and be a part of. I was, I was about to go into. Okay, do you want to give the intro? We're live. We're live. Hey, bonjour, and dinner we're going to talk. Miigwech, pizinda, yek. Wabana, quit, and go. Ryan McMahon, away is in the cause. Thank you guys for listening to us. My name is uh, Wab Canoe, and this is uh, Ryan McMahon's podcast and his house that we are uh, now sitting in. So, miigwech uh, uh, for having us over. And uh, looking forward to a good to a good chat. I mean, obviously, we're talking today because the idle no more hashtag and, um, you know, um, social media movement is sort of really going strong on the Internet. And in some ways, it, it was really the uh, the precipitating factor behind what happened on Parliament Hill yesterday when the um, some of the chiefs anyways tried to get into the uh, chamber of the House of Commons and ended up getting a, in a shoving match with some Mounties. And then today, of course, the AFN meeting is continuing and there's all sorts of interesting discussions happening over there. 
But with all this stuff going uh, on, we thought that it would be cool to invite some of the, um, the key people in to discuss the issues with us and uh, for us to try and make sense of it, make sense of it, you know, just as two, uh, two grassroots Anishinaabek. And, you know, of course, us being two university-educated, Starbucks-drinking <laughs> uh, people broadcasting on Ustream, we, we are definitely the voice of the grassroots that's that's the weird thing about that's the weird thing about doing it was like um uh and and why I feel okay about doing it is because I have so many questions yeah as 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 and that's what the podcast for me is is just a platform to to educate myself and hopefully to bring others along with me as I start to learn what's happening and yeah I think yesterday what really took me uh sort of took me by surprise emotionally was seeing Seeing them walk in with that, with that, uh, the wampum, the wampum, yeah. and, and and being met by uh, a minister who you know really is indifferent to to all uh, of the issues. I mean, we know his track record, and then and then seeing Chief Madabi uh, try to to push his way in, mm-hmm. um, I thought that that was like a really uh, really important moment. Uh, that for me emotionally, I, I really thought like here it is. Uh, live happening where um these guys that often it's so easy to just uh dismiss dismiss and but take the interesting the piss thing out is like you see the difference in the styles of leadership almost because uh like uh chief day if you say something he he will call you on it mm. on twitter like mm. he's active on social media yeah right? yeah and so it, 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 it it's an interesting time where the leadership is now at least partially responding to the voices that are out there on social media Chief uh, Grand Chief Nipanak certainly yesterday. Yeah, he shouted out all the Twitterati. Yeah, and when he was uh, on power and politics, and and really brought home a message of uh, him him listening to the young people, and uh, and I think you know what we'll see going forward is whether this is another moment that we all kind of went, well, we did it, and then and then we see what happens afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, we lose momentum, or we're going to see uh, something different happen. And I, I'm 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 guessing and I'm betting this time that there's a little bit more momentum behind us. Well, it's an interesting question, eh? and it's one that I've thought about a lot these past couple of days. By every right, Indian people should be really pissed off. Mm. We have shorter lifespans. We have poorer health. We have worse educational outcomes. We, we make less money than other Canadians. We face all sorts of legislated racism around education, around child and family services, poor homes, you know, like all these obstacles that you start life out with, never mind like racism on a day-to-day level or on the internet or all these other little disgraces that happen uh, or that are directed towards our people, right? By, by any, any person standing on the outside seeing that would be like, Hey, if that were me, I would probably be pissed off. Yeah. And yet Aboriginal people sort of don't really, there's not like one specific political direction. Yeah. In Indian country, and there's not necessarily like a huge level of outrage, and sort of it's an interesting question to consider, like why is that the case? And so for me, I I, I sort of think it's because we're 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 trapped between the first and the third world. Mm-hmm. We have enough of the success of the first world to ignore the conditions of the third world that still exists in our community. Yeah. So yeah, we have all these like outrageous living conditions, and there's you know institutional racism, but we also got big screen TVs and MacBooks. That's right. It's, and trucks. It, and it's stuff the like great. That. It's uh, what I call the the great Indian paradox. You know, how much are we willing to risk? Uh-huh. How much are we are we willing to give? Uh, 
um, how far are we willing to bend, you know, before we break? And mm-hmm. I guess that's for me uh, probably where where I, f- I I felt yesterday, where I found myself was like, well, I've personally had enough. Yeah, I, I personally feel like. Um, you know, one thing that one quick story before I guess we go too far into bringing the guests on and everything is when we travel around and, yeah. and I get to I get to look into the eyes of all these kids and like do the, these workshops and I'm talking about empowerment and leadership. Will you go inspire them. Yeah, and it's like I get to and I feel like oh man, I've done a great job here. This is great work, and then I leave. Yeah, that night I leave, and I and and if I see them again, I see them again. And for me, that's the kind of work that I want to, I, 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 I feel terrible for. It's necessary work. Maybe it's important work. But yesterday, what I was thinking about is I, I feel like I'm lying to them now. I feel like I'm, te- well, I feel like I'm telling them there's a greater life out there for you. There's, there is. And there is. But at, at, at what cost and then, and then by whose rules? Because yesterday we see this legislation, we see we're shut out. Uh, the House and Commons were shut out of the process, and so yeah, there's no easy answer. Eh? There's no black and white. Like it's all yeah. like it's all nuance and it's all subtlety. Because I mean, on the one hand, everything that I said about the obstacles that young Aboriginal people face being born in Canada, it's true. Mm. We do start out life with worse odds and facing all these different challenges that mm. uh, other Canadian kids don't necessarily face. And yet, even though that that's true, you can't tell me that the road to the top is not open. If you work your butt off, you know, totally. you can you can achieve in, you know, medicine or academia or, you know, you can be an artist, you know, you can achieve in sport. And so yeah. those paths are open. And again, it's sort of like that dichotomy between uh, the fact that there are these challenges and then there is tantalizing success mm-hmm. possible, mm-hmm. you know. And then, of course, that opens up the whole question like, oh, well, in order to succeed, like you're, you're, you're going to be a sellout. But like, I don't really think that's the case. Like mm-hmm. I know like the, the Aboriginal people that, whom, whom I consider to be successful, they're all also Sundancers or, you know, powwow singers or, you know, members of the Medewin or they at least go to sweats and are connected to the culture in that way. So I guess one of the questions that maybe maybe we can throw out there for everybody listening is, you know, we want we want that path. We want to look for that path forward, and we want to find the balance between between you know both worlds, if you will. You know that that mainstream culture and and, and finding the that good life for us. Uh, but we also have to root ourselves and ground ourselves in a in a cultural context where we have a good foundation. So for me, the question always goes back to like success or education or or uh, economic development, but at what cost and. And yeah. so in, in trying to find those answers, you know, at what cost, at what cost are we sending our kids to, to get educated? At what cost are we taking them out of our communities to bring them into cities or towns so that they can, they can li- have a more equal opportunity at what cost? Mm. I think that's always what I go back to. And, and, um, yesterday I felt like watching that unfold from a distance yeah. from Winnipeg and feeling the frustration of, of, of watching our people get shut out of a process, which we should be taking a leadership, which we're capable in taking a leadership role. And that's yeah. the other thing. When you look at the people that are standing in front of uh, the House of Commons, just 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 open your mind to this. Think about and what, whatever you feel about, you know, uh, Indian Affairs, band councils and all the rest. Put that aside. Look at a person to person. Uh, uh, um, 
why am I losing this? Pin up? No, no. <laughs> Here's me trying to be smart. Instagram That's, photo? Is this still live? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that was an awkward, <laughs> awkward moment. But when you look at the individuals, each individual that's standing in that crowd, just the collective strength, the collective knowledge, the collective educations, the collective experience of all these people standing out in front, we know we have the people to lead us. We know we have the answers. Everybody that's standing in front of that that, that uh, parliament building yesterday all live those challenges every day. So who better to find the solutions than from us? But when we're completely shut out of the process, when we're not heard in any way, then it becomes a question of, well, what is next? What is that next step? Because clearly our voices aren't being valued in that process. Yeah, it, it's true that Idle No More failed to stop Bill C-45 from passing unamended um does that mean that it is a failure as a whole probably not no there was probably a lot of uh sort of ancillary benefits to what happened i mean one the social media community has been galvanized two we've seen a clear indication that at least some of the leadership is willing to listen Mm -hmm. to the grassroots via social media and then three now there's all sorts of discussions happening uh, you know, like further Idle No More events across Canada. There's, you know, different sorts of uh, courses of action being spoken about at the Special Chiefs Assembly in Ottawa right now today. Yeah. And then you have probably most significantly a whole lot of predominantly young Indigenous people uh, starting to look into this, starting to talk about politics, starting yeah. to discuss issues around land, culture, language, leadership, and all those things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, the old cliche, you know, the battle lost, but the war still being waged might might apply. Yeah. Uh, But beyond that, when you bring up the question of what's next, you know, I think that that's really, really a compelling question because there's so many so many options like i mean it's really easy to get mad right at what happened and to react with anger mm-hmm. you know and it's it's real easy to talk about like oh you know th- another oka is coming or you know there's all this potential for you know acrimony and protest maybe maybe that's you know what's going to be the end result of this but you know is that what's really valuable for our people you know like when you go down that route is the end result a net positive for indigenous communities? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because I think a lot of time, too too often, we jump in with ego and we jump in with like, okay, well we were you know we were just you know spit upon yesterday, so let's show them our you know how manly we are and yeah. how good warriors we are. Yeah. But I really like the example of the guys who were there yesterday because you know it would have been real easy for one of them to like try and burst into the chamber or try and you know take a swing at somebody or do something that would have escalated the situation right yeah and so i hope part of what we can get at today by talking to chief day and the other people is you know the rationale behind why they didn't go down that route Mm. and then to try and explore what is the course of action that is going to make the most sense yeah. and that is going to produce positive results for the indigenous community. I think, I, th- I think too, yeah, you, you know, um, one thing that, that I think that we, for me, um, and, and <clears throat> I want to be clear to the listeners too, when I, I'm, I'm speaking for myself and, and um, this platform is, is I, I want this platform to be a chance for us to hear you and for uh, for us to share what uh, the guests will be able to share, but also to put some perspective from from our own points of view on it. 
Now, this isn't going to be perfect, this process. Uh, I'm already, I'm reading this, uh, this chat feed here. Yeah. Uh, it'd be great to have youth. It would be great for this. And, and uh, 100%, this isn't a perfect system. Uh, this is, this came about last night at about 1230 in the morning and, uh, we're doing our best. So with that said, I'm not going to apologize for this forum and the way we've created it. No, I think it's dialogue, right? Yeah, and yeah. you know, when you look at the traditional forms of government that it, it, it existed in many indigenous communities, it was around, you know, consensus building and at least, you know, in the Anishinaabe roundhouse or in the, the Medellin lodge, the longhouse, the way you build consensus is through dialogue. Right? right. And you talk and you talk and sometimes it takes a long, long time. And, you know, there's this way of looking at it that's sort of like my dad explained to me. He said it's like an eagle when an eagle hunts. Like at first it's like a wide concentric circle and then it gradually climbs up and up in altitude. And then that circle becomes tighter and tighter and tighter until it hits a certain point and then it drops straight down and then hits the surface of the water and pulls out the fish that it's mm. hunting for. And he said, and that's what we're like when we're building consensus. Like at first, you know, the first day, people are talking about all sorts of different things. People are outside smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee. Nobody's sure what's going on at the meeting. Yeah. And then, you know, after like a day or two, people start saying, well, I think this. Well, what about that? Or okay, here's something in my opinion. And then hopefully, eventually, at the end of it, you know, we emerge one heart, one mind, one vision. And then take off like I think, the eagle I, I, on the same path. I think that's a good point. It, re reacting and being reactionary, I think, in these instances, often leads to negative consequence. And I don't think is as helpful as we know right now, uh, just based on our texts and and watching the Twitter sphere uh, go. We know that there are uh, planning sessions happening. We don't know what's happening on the floor of the AFN. We're going to get that update from Chief Day. We don't know what the dialogue and the discussion is about today. Uh, we know that regular business has to take place uh, at the AFN meeting. Yeah. But we do know that there there have been some some uh, some breakout rooms and, and different people planning. Different, different conversations. Different conversations, which yeah. is which is what should happen. For what, sure. what what I thought yesterday was 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 disappointing was yeah it became like well we showed up. We let them know. We sent the message. Chief uh, Chief uh, Wallace Fox uh, said uh, was quoted as saying, "Today was uh, the day we sent the message, and uh -huh. now now we go back and we start to plan uh, based upon that that uh, that that shared message." I think that looking at some of the videos that surfaced on Facebook yesterday from from um, the um, uh, from the internet showed a, a pretty unified voice in terms of. Uh, a lot of the chiefs really talking about how this this was going to be it, you know, from f the first First Nations Property Ownership Act to all these other bills that are in front that are uh, being pushed forward mm. without their voice, that this was going to be enough. So, um, idle no more is the hashtag that uh, we're going to be uh, we're going to be using. Following. You can obviously uh, tweet us rm <coughs> at rm comedy at wab canoe uh, w a b k i n e w. And of course, the chat and social stream on uh, Ustream and uh, even Facebook. Um, there's quite a bit of take up on Ustream about Oka, like in the past couple minutes. And so there's kind of a back and forth people, you know, sort of saying, you know, Oka is what, you know, woke me up. Other people saying, you know, too many times we've been heard, you know, get over Oka. One person saying Oka was a perfect example of unity. And I'll tell you, um, I shared this story in that book about Oka, the 20, 20th anniversary yeah, book that yeah. Leanne Simpson uh, did. Um, Oka was huge. Like, I remember being like nine years old and living on the reserve that summer. And 
up until that point, we played cops and robbers, mm. right? Or co- like, you know, that's what we play. Yeah. Then that summer, like we started to play like warriors versus the army, which was like this monumental shift in, you know, being a little kid on the reserve. And it was, a, it was the first time I think a lot of us started asking questions like, what does it mean to be indigenous in Canada? You know, when there's the Canadian forces going into a community where the people look like the people in my community. And so it did wake up a lot of people, and it was hugely influential. But I'm also reminded of a conversation I had with Juanique Horn, um, Juanique Horn Miller, a few years back, or also around the 20th anniversary. And, like, she had some really wise words to, sh- to, to share as well. And her, almost more than anybody, she bore the brunt of the fallout she from was, Oka. She was stabbed. Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. right? And so if anyone, you know, really experienced what the, the backlash from Oka was all about, you know, it's probably... Well, she was one of the one of the one of the main ones. But what she said essentially was, you know, she gets and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. This is not a direct quote, but essentially what she was saying is that I get I get worried when I hear leaders or other people talk about it's time for another Oka, mm. because what they're doing is they're playing politics with the lives of young people, you know, and that's a really important point too. Is it like we can't just be like it, it makes for good rhetoric. It looks there are certain you know you know qualities about that kind of action that i think a lot of people respond to but at the same time at the end of the day you got to remember that there's going to be somebody there who's going to pay the price right and is that going to be you you know and what 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 kind of example are you setting if you're asking you know your fellow community members to to put themselves in harm's way like that so all sorts of interesting questions and i think they're great uh points that we're hearing well, and, and I, I've heard, uh, I've I talked with Wanique uh, about the same story yeah. uh, on a few different occasions. And one of the things that always stuck with me was that while she, and, and again, I'm not going to speak for her, but the way the story was given to me by her was that while she was, uh, while she was um, there, uh, maybe not by choice though, right? Yeah. Because the, the, the ripple effects that those types of actions have and the violence and and the things that happen inside of those circles um, affect many people. And a lot of people that weren't necessarily planning on uh, being involved in a high level, you end up there and you end up as a, as a community and you never know what's going to happen or who's going to get hurt. And Juanique's story, I think, uh, which, what, what I take away from her story w- was just that, was that playing politics with the lives of, of, of those that may not be uh, able to defend themselves in that way or willing to defend themselves that way or, or people that can even defend themselves that way are often the ones that are caught in the middle of these things. So, I mean, I, I always say, like yesterday, I was following the hashtags and I was following all these all people the talking about people are assassinate Harper and all this shit. And it's like, you know, they, they, these are all things that you can tweet. Yeah. Uh, don't ask me to retweet them. Uh <laughs> I am retweet does not imply consent. That's right. What do you Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Retweets aren't necessarily. <laughs> but but uh um what what I think is best is that is that we find some sort of balance and we find some sort of level-headed uh energy that we can sit down and really look at these things. Yeah. And if forward. anything then at least it's a conversation and there's more, you know, awareness and there's more willingness for people to do uh the work that needs to be done in our community because like for me like the way i interpret idle no more is yes it's important to to engage with the federal government and to engage like 
outside of the indigenous community for sure. Mm. But it's at least as important to do the work within our own community to get us back to a position where we really are living out our nation. Good. You know what I mean? And so right now we're like, how would you say the split is? Would you say 90% of our effort is focused externally and 10% is focused on internal, you know, building up our language and our culture and the institutions of indigenous nation. Well, yeah, it's more, I mean, to me, what I see is it's mostly performative, right? Like it's, well, that's the other question about yesterday too, is like, is that just, you know, to put the youth and the social media types at ease and now it's back to business as usual, but setting aside the cynical point of view, like let's assume that there is a possibility for meaningful change. Like for me, the big, the big way that I want to interpret, I don't know more is that we need to be, no longer idle in our own communities. Mm. If we want to be Anishinaabe, then we better start speaking Anishinaabe Moen. Mm. You know, if we want to have a land base, then we better start living on the land and mm. not just the reserve. Because like 200 years ago, 300 years ago, did our people limit their, their boundaries, their horizons to the reserve? No. No, of course not. Similarly, did people 200, 300 years ago limit the languages that they spoke to the one in their own home, home community? No. No. So why are we like, oh, I'm Ojibwe. I'm only going to learn Ojibwe. Yeah. Or, hey, how come you only do the Ojibwe app? Why don't you give something for us Crees? You're going to put it on Android, bro? Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that is the most common question I get. Yeah, well, and just, just, a, just a need to complain sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, that and, you know, what's up with the icon? How come you put a red headband? Like as if you've never seen an elder wearing a red headband. Yeah. Anyway. Well, setting that aside, like I think it's <laughs> just go off on this tangent. Eh? Like I think I don't know more. Hopefully, it stirs up a conversation within our own community, community, and gets people acting uh, like on that level too. Not just about like, oh yeah, let's fight, you know, this bill or you know this sort of thing that's going on politically. But let's also work in our community. Let's make sure that more than just the three languages that are supposed to survive actually survive this next hundred years. Let's make sure that we actually are in a real position of nationhood. Mm-hmm. Let's start asking the questions like if we are really indigenous nations does it make sense to define ourselves based on provincial boundaries does it even make sense to define ourselves based on treaty boundaries yeah or should we be looking at something broader something more you know based on confederacy or you know nationhoods in traditional times so i'm optimistic i think those conversations are starting and i think people are engaging on it uh and hopefully we can keep that level of discourse more on the constructive side and less on the yeah hey you're a sellout. Well, it feels to me, I, I, I've, I've felt like this for, for a while, just because of my work uh, in, in comedy. For me, it feels like the Wild West. It feel like, feels like nothing's been done before. And these types of conversations, I think, um, the things that you're talking about, I think, while they're not new, yeah. uh, they're not new. It's not new. It, no. it, but I think that there's a new energy to it. I think that there's more young people than ever involved in that conversation, which is bringing a lot of voices to the table and yeah. a lot of perspective and point of view in terms of urban youth and, and youth that have never even been to the reserve. You know, and I, I think that that's I think that that's new, and I think that the value of that shouldn't be understated. And what we have to look at now is even in the the brief conversation last night uh, between myself and Taggy Alfred. Oh yeah. About uh, on Twitter. Yeah. The bro hug. Uh, well, no, th- it ended in a bro yeah, hug, but but the academics pointing the finger at the bank council chiefs. We know that that's a that's a that's a thing we well yeah, know. Yeah, but like and but you know like look beyond it. Yeah, for sure, some of those leaders are are there because of the Indian Act uh, election system. Mm-hmm. But you look at the qualities that they display as as leaders. I'd say that they'd probably be leaders in traditional forms of government many of as them. well Very, a lot of them. maybe not all yeah for sure not all many of them but but in 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 my my uh point point about that was that 
uh, what I would like is to bring all of our best that are out there, whether they're academics, cultural professionals, uh, uh, and mainstream we go professionals, skiing in Kananaskis for a weekend and just work it out, and just just talk it out just on the ski hills. Yeah. A little hot cocoa, hot maybe toddies. sip some wine in a Soyuz. Uh, well, Soyuz, w- hey Nick Mip, I what, heard they're doing their thing over there. Whatever we have to do, yeah. But but um, that if we are at a time where we're able to hit the reset button and we want to look at ways forward, I think th- this is what I don't know more for me is yeah. is that. We, just what it says. We are idle no more. We will all come to the table with good hearts and good minds. And now's the time to have those conversations. And you know what? If you are comfortable in your Indian Act position, that the time to let those reins uh, go is now. Because, because there are people that can lead and will lead. And I think for me, that's what inspires me is that we are in a new time where I think enough people are here. Our women are standing up. Um, I don't know more was started by our started women. Started by four women. Yeah, which is, I mean. Uh, There's a story that, like, my uncle always uses. He said, like, you know, in traditional times, the uh, the man would always be at the front of the canoe. Mm. And the woman would always be at the back of the canoe, right? And is it because, like, the man is, like, out front breaking the trail and leading things? No, it's because the woman sits in the back and says, go left, stupid. Yeah. Go right, stupid. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's almost what you could say happened in mm-hmm. this instance. So we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah. And we'll, we'll hear why the case is. Do you want Lots to- of interesting questions. Like, I mean, other things I was wondering yesterday, like, should we now adopt Charlie Angus as one of us? Hundred <laughs> percent. He's more Anishinaabe. He, he's more Anishinaabe than most. I'll tell you that much. And then, like, w- when did Chief Chief Wallace Fox become our new national chief? Hmm. I think he did a great job yesterday. And all of a sudden, he's like the the, the voice. It's the interesting. Mouth. It, it, it's interesting. I you know, uh, I I saw that a lot. Where was Atlio? Well, I I think there's two parts to that. Um. He's he's not on his traditional territory, and so yeah. you see the chiefs the, of the uh, traditional territory sort of take the front. The nation decrees. Yeah, you have to sort of you know sacrifice them. <laughs> yeah, put, <laughs> put those guys you, on the no, front no. Lines. You guys go ahead. No, yeah, you, you I'm good. I'm good. And yeah. decrees, you guys are warriors. You guys better uh, get up there and show us how it's done. I'm good. I'm good. Um, which I don't think is what he did, but uh, but I do think that's why we saw that. Um, <clears throat> but also, I think that. What's going to be interesting for me is what, and, and why I look forward to speaking with Chief Day is, is what's happening on the floor today. What the talk is like? Is this is there talk? Yeah, I and think also, there, there the might. Question like, how awesome is Chief Day? Like, not only is he like this giant Anishinaabe Moen speaking yeah. leader who's yeah. like standing up, but he's also part of the one percent. You know, the one percent of Aboriginal men who can grow a beard. Right. So there you go. <laughs> Have you ever shaken his hand? He's one of those giant men that makes me like. If I ever imagine getting beat up by a large, large uh, WWE fighter, yeah. that's what, who, who he would be. Like, his hand just dwarfs mine, and my voice goes up three octaves. <laughs> when, Hi, Chief Day. You kick uh, your, your yeah. one leg back I, in the air. Just like, can you stop being <laughs> such a man in, around me? Um, so we'll but, have to control our fanboy tendencies when we, uh, when we get him on the line. But... Um, um, because uh, because he is on the floor and because he is showing that level of leadership, I look forward to speaking with. All right, we're going to get into our first guest. This is uh, our chat uh, with uh, Chief uh, Isidore Day from the Serpent River First Nation. I think uh, one of the things that I t- uh, that I'm reflecting on 
in this first part of the chat with Wob was the idea of, of almost sacrificing our youth or using them as chess pieces almost. We hear the rhetoric over and over again, and we always hear, you know, youth, young people are our future, and youth are the future leaders of tomorrow. They're not. They're the leaders of today if we allow it. So we can't just be, we just can't, we have to be mindful of what we are saying here. When we say uh, the youth are ready to uprise and, and we need to fight against, for our youth. And I just, I feel like it's, we're getting into some dangerous territory if we just look at this in a militant uh, sense. Yes, we need, um, we need some drastic action. And yes, we need people to listen. Uh but again, it goes back to that question of at what cost, and I hope the cost is not our young people. And um, those are just some thoughts anyway. I, I, I just think that we have to be careful. I think that some of the sound bites and some of the news and some of the things that I'm hearing around uh, over the last uh, day or two uh, certainly focus around that, the idea of, uh, of this militant action, which I'm not against and which I'm certainly not for. But I think we have to be mindful that if we're talking about our youth and our young people, this is the future now. The young people are already here. Our future is already in front of us. So what we need to do is find a way forward while supporting them, listening to them, including them, and following them. Um, and I could go on and on and on and on about this. One of the tweets that uh, I sent out yesterday as well had to do with... Uh, uh, our uh, Indian Act chiefs. I think it's too easy to dismiss the work that many of these chiefs are doing. It's important to deconstruct the Indian Act and the work and the baggage that comes with it, but it's also important to be a part of the solution. Chief Isidore Day from Serpent River First Nation certainly understands that balance. This is our featured chat with him where we get into that a little bit about the way forward and listening to community and including community, which he certainly does a great job of in his home First Nation at Serpent River. This is our featured chat with Chief Isidore Day. So, miigwech uh, Chief. I just wanted to start by saying, like, uh, you did a, a pretty amazing thing yesterday, along with some of the other leaders. And um, we've been talking about the sort of the events of yesterday, and we want to get into sort of, you know, the, the implications and what comes next. But first of all, I was wondering if you could just, you know, because most of us weren't there yesterday, if you could just describe in your words, your take on what happened uh, outside the chamber of the House of Commons yesterday. Well, I, I think what happened was, uh, uh, I guess, a, a culmination of frustration uh, uh, by uh, uh, many of our, our, our people have, have been constantly uh, bombarded by requests and, and demands at the community level to respond to the uh, uh, the, the imposition of, of legislation and, and this uh, the, the onslaught of this this legislative. Uh, machine just uh, totally disregarding First Nations people and uh, uh, you know the, 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 it was really uh, the message that we, we carried forward on behalf of our citizens and community members uh, uh, we, we, we were uh, 
uh, requested and, and suggested by Chief Wallace Fox that we uh, that we take notice of what was happening in the House of Commons yesterday, uh, and that we, uh, uh, we we take the opportunity to to set the record straight and to to establish a tone of direct action and to uh, uh, take the opportunity to, to prompt this government to take notice of of our of our issues and concerns with the with the wide gambit of legislation that's before the House and and that is being pushed through uh, despite what First Nations are are saying about uh, our, our issues and concerns. So one of the things that like we were talking about is that the situation it could have easily escalated right like there's a shoving match going on probably you know what i mean you're a big guy you, you may you may have been you know part of you might have been like oh i should just you know uh do something crazy but why why did cooler heads prevail why why did you decide just to hold your ground and to leave it at that well, uh, we 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 knew what the, uh, the the potential was there, but uh, you know we uh, we rely on the ceremony, we rely on the drum. The the, the pipe was there, and it was very uh, uh, clearly set out what we needed to do. And and what we needed to do was, you know, uh, uh, draw that line in the sand. And and, and on on one side of that line, uh, you know, we're we're standing our ground and and and, and trying to. Get across to uh, uh, this this Harper government that, that, that they can no longer uh, impose and, and uh, this legislative uh, machine and and, uh, and 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 deny us having a say as to what happens uh, with respect to these various pieces of legislation. So, if, if, if I might just just say that it really was, uh, you know, done in, in the way Nishnabe and uh, the Lord Nishoni and uh, the, our, our Queen brethren, you know, it was it was done. Uh, uh, it was done through uh, through ceremony and in protocol. Like uh, we, if we didn't have that, uh, you know, possibly things could have gotten out of hand. But we 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 needed to do, and and, and we had the strength and clarity uh, as to uh, what and and what uh, why we needed to do what we did. I think I think one of the messages that that uh, that I see coming going forward is that. Yeah, exactly. Just that you were you were holding the wampum belt. There, there was a pipe uh, present. Our drums were present. All of all of our sacred items come from the land. And in reflection last night, one of the things that I reflected on heavily was when we talk about the land, we're not talking about creating our own resource-based economy or anything like that. To be clear, what we're talking about is 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 our version of God, as as indigenous peoples often is found within the land. And so being led by uh, ceremony and our items, I think is a, is, 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 it's important to note the reason why uh, we do those things. And seeing it yesterday was, was obviously a, uh, the, the right way to be led into that situation. When you were there, did you feel like there was a chance that you were going to be led into the room? Or did you know that you were going to be met by those guards uh, straight away? No, I, I I think we knew. Uh, and again, uh, I, I think we 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 were more focused on on the media that was there, and and, and we knew we knew uh, quite well uh, that we were going to be met with resistance in, in trying to get into the House of Commons. And I think our our, our main objective was just to ensure that uh, the Canadian public could see what's actually really going on, and, and that you know anybody can really go into the house, but if if if, if you're going into the house with uh, uh, a message of truth and, and truth as to what's happening with uh, this legislation, 
uh, we, we were going to be met with resistance. And I think that our uh, our goal was to ensure that that the Canadian public got a got a clear sense of, of how our people are feeling about this, uh, what our our key issues and concerns are, and and and, and that there would be a, a line drawn in the sand. So, uh, you, you know, we knew what we were going to be met with, and uh, you know, we we were prepared to go there, draw the line in the sand, and again, uh, do what we needed to do to set the tone of direct action and uh, and moving forward on on uh, I guess a, a greater. Uh, uh, clarification to the Canadian public as to what's really going on. So the tone, the tone has been set. Uh, I think that uh, it, it, uh, many of the chiefs that we saw uh, on television yesterday, and, and in the sound bites and the videos that that have emerged uh, from from the ground there, you've heard you've heard the internet loud and clear. You know what the young people out there in your own community are saying uh, for sure, because you're you're engaged in your community that way. Many people are talking about that way forward and, and what the next steps are. Uh, I'm watching this, uh, this chat on Ustream uh, go forward and everybody's talking about the sellout Indian Act chiefs. Uh, <clears throat> this is talk that I personally uh, don't appreciate and don't think is helpful in any way. You know the path forward, Chief, in your own community and certainly with the Chiefs of Ontario. Can you speak to your vision of the way forward now that we've been locked outside of these talks and and what you feel would be a good path forward? Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm really glad that, that that question is coming to the forefront because, again, uh, I, I think what, what our people are saying, and, and even the ones that are, uh, are skeptical about, uh, you know, a way forward and, and this whole uh, uh, passing notion of, of Indian Act uh, leaders, uh, I, I, I don't think we're at that place anymore. I, I think what's uh, uh, very clear is that we, we need to get to the root of the issue, and, and the root of the issue is that uh, this legislation, uh, this continued imposition of colonial rule is insidious and, and it's it's very it's very discreet and very sneaky and and uh, we we have really become accustomed to uh, this notion of proactive disengagement but the government has has operated in such a way and has pulled us in enough and just fed us enough food and water just just to keep us alive and, and but they certainly have not allowed us in in any substantive way so you know we've acted in good faith we've We've been open to a new relationship, but this government clearly is is, is not uh, uh, is not key on that a- anymore. They're 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 very blunt. They're very uh, uh, they're very uh, uh, crude as to how they're going to deal with us. And uh, you know we we now need to, to clarify that. So a way forward now is to uh, start to uh, manifest the, the, the truth. It's we need to now interpret what's really going on, and, and that's why we, we need to get a, a lot clearer sense at the community level what the legislative machine is doing, uh, what, what, what are the dynamics and characteristics of all this legislation, and what does it mean to our people. And, and once we have that discussion with our people, they're going to tell us what it means to us, and they're going to give us the direction. So I, I think, you know, we, we're really seeing... Uh, a divide here. On one side, you have a top-down approach from a, a colonial government that, that will continue to try to impose on us, and we have a grassroots movement that's that's actually 
pushing up, and, 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 and rightfully so. You know, our people are frustrated. They, they don't want uh, an, an Indian Act approach to, to us uh, dialoguing with government, and, and, and I agree with that. So we, we really need to a- accept what's going on. Uh, you know that we're going to go through a little bit of a tough time here in the beginning, but I think that there will be a, a sense of re- renewal and reconfiguration as to how we put our issues on the table, and we're going to need our community members to get that done. I guess also one of the things I'm wondering is like what what is the response that you expect from the federal government like now that you know they see that you know you guys as leaders and you know part of the AFN aren't aren't you know scared to make a stand right do you expect you know one option maybe that they they cut funding to you know PTOs and uh, you know to some of the other organizations more or do you think that they're going to maybe even throw more money at those organizations and expect to like maybe buy silence and buy complicity? Like, what do you think the reaction on the federal side is going to be? Well, I, I think I think that they they, they are going to uh, uh, I think respond. I I don't think for one second that that this that this is a government that uh, uh, that that will react quickly. I think that they're having. Uh, uh, very concerted and, and, and very important discussions around how to respond to us. So I, I think we, we need to be mindful that uh, that this government is going to try to do everything that they can to maintain a position of power and control and oppression over our people. And, and I think what we, we need to do is we need to recognize that we still need to, to progress forward as communities and, and that we cannot lose uh, you know, even the thread of the fiduciary obligation that that exists, and 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 the, the commitments made, and the apology, and uh, you know, even uh, uh, advancing First Nation economies and, and access to resources that that are there. Uh, but, but we also need to recognize that this legislation uh, is continuing to strip away and remove our our uh, our rights, uh, erode our jurisdiction, and, and continue to deny that that we really are sovereign and, and that we really do. Have have uh, Section 35 rights that, that set us apart from other Canadians. So I, I think we, we, we really do uh, uh, need to need to recognize uh, uh, the implications. So there's a lot of work that has to be done to to look at what the government is going to do uh, uh, to to push back or, or even to try to control or or to try to deaden or silence uh, the movement that's happening. But I, I think that this is going to be a lot stronger than that. And I, I think that there's a there's a movement happening, and, and, and we really just need a, a high-level coordination and, and a, a collective response at, the, at this time. So that, that sort of brings to mind, like, what's going on in Ottawa today? Like, obviously, there's conversations happening around Canada, people on social media are talking, but what's going on in Ottawa? What's, what's the talk uh, among the AFN and among the other circles that you guys are a part of? Well, you know, there's there's a lot of talk that uh, uh, you know people are, are relieved that you know we we're finally starting to see this type of mo- of a movement forward. And and uh, again, uh, I think we're just breaking past a, a new threshold here, and we're opening up a door that that I think uh, uh, you, you know is going to create a new space. Uh, and and I think people are anticipating that. I think that there's a little bit of a uh, a, a, a much clearer enthusiasm about you know a, a sense of hope, a sense of duty, and and I think people are going to uh, going to start to join forces on this. And, and what I mean by that is 
is, is I think the regions uh, in Ottawa, like the, the uh, AFN Assembly, I think that the regions are going to go back now and, and they're going to start to uh, begin work on collective movement uh, in terms of at least responding to all of this uh, this legislation. But uh, I think what we will see, uh, again, is that there is going to be direct action that, that people are going to want to see and, and, and how do we manage that and, and what, what type of direct action is going to keep people safe, going to get the issues out there and, and most importantly, move our agendas forward. When, when, we, t- when we think about uh, <clears throat> sort of moving forward with, in, in, with that direct action, um, do, do you see a divide uh, on the floor of the AFN? Do you see a split amongst chiefs that, it, or here's, here's the question, is there still a split amongst chiefs in terms of uh, accepting or rejecting the Indian Act? Uh, on the floor at the AFN right now, is there discussions about everyone's on board or just some of us are on board? Or is this uh, a message coming directly uh, from all chiefs? Well, you know what, let's face it, if, if you were to even just ask the question of all chiefs in Ontario, I mean in, in Canada, is the Indian Act good for our people? Uh, is, is it something that, that you would if you had uh, uh, the control and power to, uh, to put something there for our people? Would, would, would you choose the Indian Act? I, I'm going to say that not, not any chief is going to do that. What, what they're going to say is, you know what, what's there now? And, and, and how do we manage the change that will come about if, if, the, if the Indian Act is, is removed, altered, repealed, uh, changed? Uh, you know, I, I, think, I think what we're, we're really looking at is the complexities around the impacts that the Indian Act has had on our people uh, since 1876 and, and, and how do we ensure that, that our communities still have a, a sense of semblance and, and, and that there's still uh, the ability to, to operate our, our First Nation governments at, at the current uh, state. So I, I, I really believe it's, it's a bit of a complex issue, and, and I, I believe that if there, are, if there is any resistance uh, around Indian Act changes, it's, it's more to do with the question, okay, if we remove it, like, what are we going to do to ensure that something fills that gap? So I, I, I'd like to be, you know, uh, I guess very mindful that, uh, you know, there is a belief among all First Nation leaders that the Indian Act is not for us, that the Indian Act is not ours, but that what do we do with it going forward? I think that that's something that will, that will uh, have us to take the time over the next several months to uh, uh, build, a, build a, a national collective response to uh, the, the private members bill going forward and, and, and how we, uh, we address the, the, the legislative objective that's on the table now. Okay, and, and, and then I guess as a follow-up to that, go, going forward, I mean, it is a very tricky issue and, and, and there's not going to be a, a simple solution. I think, I think, you know, imagining a world sort of as a post-Indian Act apocalypse in our communities is, I guess, the big fear, especially with those communities that maybe are a little more closely tied with corporations and, and resource-based uh, economies in and around their, their local areas. But is, is there, ha- are there plans or has there been discussion about what that potentially looked like? 
might look like. I think that one of the big worries on the ground is that nobody knows what a post-Indian Act system would look like or, or, or feel like. Are those discussions happening amongst leadership? And, and do we have a plan uh, post-Indian Act? Well, you know, I, I think that uh, I, I go back to the uh, Crown First Nation gathering. And, you know, I, I remember what the Prime Minister said. He said, we, we're not going to get rid of the Indian Act. And, and look what's happening now. <laughs> it's, it's, it's something that's, uh, that's uh, in, in the legislative machine right now for, for change. So I, I, I think that we need to go back to, to our own communities, to our, to our own regions, to our own nations. Say, like the Anishinaabek Nation, you know, we need to have the, the collective discussion as to what, what the uh, uh, post-Indian Act world looks like. And, and, and we have to rely on our self-government models that, that we've been working on for quite some time. Uh, so I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a governance framework discussion. What, what is our governance? Uh, it's also the land and the resources and, and the economic streams that come from our lands. And, and, it's, and it's, also, it's also the people. How do we, how do we deal with the, the social ramifications of, of uh, a post-Indian Act era? And, 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 and let me tell you something. I think at, at the heart of the, the, the truest issue right now for the conservative government is really control and financial resources. And, and I, I think one of the things that we, we as First Nation people need to push on now is, is there's, a, there's a very important uh, uh, discussion and, and uh, negotiation in 2014 with respect to the equalization payment program. And, and what happens with that program, as you may or may not know, is that they take uh, uh, resource uh, taxes, uh, royalties, and excises uh, uh, nationally and provincially, and, 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 it's, and it's part of a, it's part of a, uh, a consolidated pool. And, and, and there's an agreement as to how those will be shared across the country uh, in the provinces to make sure that there's a baseline uh, safety net of, of, of fiscal stability so that these provincial governments and their municipalities can, can operate. Well, you know what? I think now is the time for us to push hard, and, and now is the time for you know our, our, the AFN, the, our regional governments, our First Nation leaders, to, to tell Ontario, uh, to tell the provinces and the federal government that, that we want in on those discussions, that we need a new fiscal reality. So I, I, I just kind of want to bring that back to the fact that it really is going to boil down to an issue of, of resources and making sure that, that we have the ability to, to operate our governments. And, and I think that it's, it's a multi-pronged approach, but, but resources is a big one here, right? And, and, and how the government is trying to respond to that now is opening up our territories for business. And that's why the chiefs are saying no. Uh, you, you, you can't unilaterally do that. You can't go and enter into trade deals because there's unfinished business here. Uh, we, we want a new fiscal reality, and we want more economic autonomy in our territory so that way we can, we can see a, a post-Indian Act era. It's a, it's a really good point. Like I think for the past few decades, the relationship has been, um, it's been defined in a largely political arena, but it seems like at least for the next decade, maybe a few decades, the relationship between Aboriginal people and Canada is going to be defined by natural resources and whether or not that, that relationship occurs in a meaningful way. But one of the things like I'm wondering about today is yesterday we saw, you know, Chief Fox, we saw yourself at the forefront, we saw, you know, uh, Grand Chief Madabi, 
We saw Grand Chief Nipanak from here in Manitoba at the forefront. Um, like, where was the national chief in all this? And, you know, what does it say about the AFN today if you guys are the ones sort of um, taking the lead on it? Well, you know, I, I, I'm glad that the question's coming out. And, uh, you know, I, I have to uh, uh, be very, very uh, uh, mindful and respectful of, of the process that, that we have in front of us. And, and again, I, I, uh, I think... Uh, from the outside looking in, most people would ask that question as to where the national chief is, and and, and what we what we agree to uh, is that you know because there's uh, there's processes out there right now that the, that the national chiefs and, and the executive are, are dealing with, you know we we felt that you know we we, we would make a first step forward, uh, and that that we we wanted acknowledgement in the assembly. Uh, by the national chief and the executive, that this was uh, as an important of the, uh, an issue to to close down the assembly, of which they did. So they they, they opened they opened up the opportunity uh, there based on uh, Chief Fox's uh, assertion on the floor and then support by the chiefs. And and, and once we got to uh, Parliament Hill, the national chief and and many executive members were there, and 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 we said, listen, you know, we'll be the ones to to go in and uh, bring that message forward. Uh, there will be an opportunity and time to coordinate our messaging and, and figuring out where the national chief and the executive fit in. And and, and I, I want to kind of draw draw attention to this uh, to the reality that you know we're we're we need to build bridges and and we need to uh, ensure that there there are no seams in our process here as as we advocate and push our issues forward. We have to support one another, and the national chief has indicated support for this direct action movement, and and he's he's quite clearly stated that the most important piece now is is to build a unified approach. And if 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 you need to have your uh, your uh, your strong leaders at the front to to, to move forward the, the issue, then that's what will happen. And uh, uh, I, I think that we're going to see more involvement uh, from from this national chief. And uh, uh, if not, we're we're going yeah. to uh, uh, ask him to participate. And if he's uh, not uh, willing to, to to advance in some of the issues, well, we're going to do it anyway. Uh, we we have to do it for our communities, for our children. Well, it's very, very helpful for you to explain that to us because it was, it was a question that I had and that I saw other people were asking. A lot of people, a lot of people tweeted the same question about where's our national chief? Why, why don't we see uh, him there? And uh, I, I kind of thought it was the local chiefs from the from the local area, from the traditional territories. Yeah, the chief boxes from uh, right, right. That is step forward. So we got the answer that we got the answer we needed. So now we want to change gears a little bit. We've been talking about doing uh, a telethon uh, yep. with a few people uh, to raise awareness and you know raise money about you know issues in our communities. So I was wondering if you could just uh, talk to the people who are watching and listening right now uh, about your vision for that. Okay. Okay. So listen, let me tell you this, guys. I just heard the, the beep on my cell phone, so I, I'm actually going to lose power here in about three minutes oh, or right. less. So let me uh, just charge into the to the answer here. Uh, about a month ago, I had uh, you know I was either thinking in my sleep or dreaming or whatever you want to call it, uh, but but I was actually a part of a uh, seemed to me like a telethon. So as I as I woke up and 
and started shaking off the cobwebs, I, I started thinking about what I was seeing in my sleep, and it was uh, actually a, a, a telethon. It's a 24-hour telethon, and they were talking about missing and murdered women, uh, child welfare issues, education, and, and it, it got me to thinking, and I, I reached out to uh, uh, the national chief, the regional chief in, in Ontario, Stan Birney, and, and Grand Chief Madabi, and I, I, I put the question out there. Uh, because of the 250-year anniversary of the Royal Proclamation, you know, let's uh, let's get the message out there. Let's talk about the truth and the history and, 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 and what this uh, spirit and intent of treaties uh, was and, and uh, where we're at now and some of the key things that happened in the history of our people, like the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People, residential schools, uh, truth and reconciliation. Uh, and, and let's, you know, create a, a, a space... Uh, maybe next year in a, in a telethon as we build a, a larger communication strategy about some of those important issues that, that re- require us to, to reach out to Canadians and create more education and awareness and, and create a sense of, of partnership and, and, uh, and, and that nation-to-nation uh, relationship and, and uh, that, that sacred obligation of sharing that we see in uh, the nation-to-nation wampum belts. Uh, uh, clearly, uh, it's an opportunity here and, and it seems to be uh, given support, uh, I've uh, got the final resolution coming out on the floor either today or tomorrow on the AFN, and uh, hopefully it works out. But uh, so far, everybody seems to be on board. Are you worried that 24 hours might not be enough time to talk about all that stuff? <laughs> well, I, I, I thought about that, and that's why we're actually going to get on the resolution and, and start to build up and, and, and market and establish our partners and get commercials out there possibly yeah. and start to create a, a, another sustained uh, three months uh, 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 after the uh, 24-hour uh, uh, televised uh, event or, or a strategy that continues to keep the, the, the awareness level out there and, and to start to uh, create a, a new discourse in the, the relationship uh, uh, with, within direct communication and possibly changing the curriculum, but really just getting uh, the, the, the truth of, of Canada out there and, and, and what, that, what that means in relation to the first peoples of this land. Okay, miigwech apatsi, Chief. Kigetsia enenemen. Yeah, miigwech. Very nice to, to talk with you, and I hope to do this again. No, thank you very much for your time, Chief Day, and uh, be well today, and uh, take care of yourself. We'll talk again real soon. Miigwech. Miigwech. All right, there you have it. That's our featured chat with uh, Chief uh, Isidore Day from Serpent River First Nation. Uh, a lot of good words and a lot of a lot of good thought there. I think he, uh, for me and my money, if I had to be a betting man, and this is a horrible analogy to use, but I think he gets it. I think he gets it. I think he understands the balance between um, pushing towards the fiduciary responsibility of this government towards us understanding the need for economic development and looking at that resource-based economy and, and what it's going to take to get a slice of just the exports of this country. I mean, I've heard him talk at length about that and, and the number of dollars that leave this country, which uh, all come from a resource-based economy, which Canada has and, and basically survives and thrives on, and, and, and looking at the way forward in a traditional sense uh, with his, fa- with his uh, uh, community, uh, rather, and and the delicate balance between all that, an educated, smart man, and and uh, yesterday, right in the thick of things, in terms of uh, uh, walking into the the House of Commons and letting them know that we aren't uh, we aren't going to take much more of this, or or 
frankly, any more of this. Uh, <clears throat> to, to speak to uh, what he's talking about in the telethon, Chief Day had the dream. He had the vision to have this telethon, no spin, no garbage, no political rhetoric, no nothing. And, and what we would do is present this on television and let people decide for themselves what this, what this information means to them. It's, it's in the very, very beginning stages. Uh, I'm a part of it. Wab Canoe is a part of it. Chief Day, uh, who dreamt it up, uh, is a part of it. And uh, let me just, uh, I will read you the resolution. Um, this was faxed to me by Chief Day uh, a couple of weeks ago. This was the actual resolution that was uh, uh, sent over to me. Where is the text? Chief Day. All right. Here we go. Here's the resolution. This is the basis of how, of what of how we look at going forward. Now, this is nonpartisan. This will not be tied to any political party or movement. This will be a group of grassroots people that come together to pull this off. So here it goes. Whereas indigenous peoples across Turtle Island and their respective First Nations are all distinct and have culture and history uniqueness, that is the foundation of their nationhood and identity. And whereas the Anishinaabek Nation, as like many other indigenous nations that predate what is now referred to as Canada, have untold histories and accounts of the past as well as chronology of treaties and impacts of colonial interference, not widely known by mainstream Canada. And whereas First Nations face a wide range of Challenges as a result of historic, historical colonialism and Indian policy designed to assimilate Indians and to fix the so-called Indian problem. And whereas October 2013 will mark the 250th year anniversary of the Royal Proclamation of 1763. And even after two and a half centuries, the crown, its government and citizen, citizenry to a great extent are misinformed and ill-perceived the truth about First Nations sovereignty, history, and nationhood. And whereas a uniform Canada and its institutions cannot completely be prepared to implement truth and reconciliation without a concise accounting of Canada's failure to honour treaties and an account of the gross injustice of First Nations people and lands, therefore be it resolved as a as a way forward, Anishinaabek chiefs in assembly support a strategic communications effort over the next year leading up to the 250th year marker of the Royal Proclamation of 1763 that includes using all forms of media to educate, update, inform all audiences about the past, present, and aspirations of Indigenous people on Turtle Island. Further be it resolved that the establishment of a nationally supported and marketed 24-hour televised special and fundraising broadcast to be proposed to appropriate public and private sector partners and to the Aboriginal People's Television Network. Finally, be it resolved, a draft strategy supported by leadership and direct the AN Communications unit to explore possibilities and opportunities to assist in the promotion of a national First Nations awareness strategy leading up to the Royal Proclamation of 1763, 250th year anniversary. This was moved and seconded. It is on the floor of the Assembly of First Nations, uh, maybe late today, maybe tomorrow, but uh, we are getting the support that we need uh, on the ground from our leadership to bring this forward on behalf of... Uh, on the behalf of our communities. We are looking to make those ties. We are looking to cross those borders. We are looking to create the message that we are the original peoples here. We deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. And that's the way forward. And we're going to do it. And it's going to be the artists that do it. And uh, it's exciting. This is our featured chat with Tanya Capo. 
one of the leaders behind the Idle No More hashtag. Here we are. Okay, right on. Hey, so uh, everybody, uh, say hello to uh, Tanya Capo. And Tanya, can you just uh, introduce yourself and uh, tell everybody where you're from? Well, um, I am a citizen of Treaty 8. My home community is the Surgeon Lake Cree Nation in northern Alberta. And um, I'm a mom. I have three children. And I'm also um, in the process of trying to become a lawyer during the day. Well, we'll forgive that. Uh, no, it's okay. uh, so, first of all, Drew Clark One on Ustream says you have a cute voice. So, uh, oh. we're going to hope to raise the bar of the discourse uh, from here on in. This is a family show, Drew. Get your shit together, man. Oh, I just said shit, sorry. Yeah. So, hey, Tanya, can you just tell us, you know, you're the first person to use the I don't know more hashtag. Can you just tell us, you know, where that came from? Well... I've been in touch with Sylvia McAdam. I met her earlier in the year at a conference in Saskatchewan. So we maintain contact through Facebook, and we would talk every now and then about how distraught we were starting to feel over the silence of what we were facing legislatively, like the new laws that were coming from Canada that were big changes to us. And the fact that we're dealing with a conservative government, which means that our chances of defeating them were not that great. So she then took it upon herself with some other ladies in Saskatchewan, three other ladies. There was the four of them, Jess Gordon, Sheila McLean, and Nina Wilson. And, and they started a movement in Saskatchewan where they were doing um, events. They did one in Saskatoon. They did one in Prince Albert. They did one in Regina. And I said to myself, you know what? It's time to pay it forward. I just graduated from law school. I exercised my treaty right to education. Coming with that treaty right to education is the responsibility. I now have some skills, a skill set that'll help at this time to look at the legislation and to try to break it down in a way that people at home could understand it because clearly the silence was only because nobody knew. Nobody had any idea. So I thought, I'm not going to go out and I'm not going to bash anyone to say it was your job to do this, it was your job to do this, because like I said, I have a personal responsibility. So I said, I'm going to put it out there on Facebook. I'm going to make an announcement there by publicly submitting myself to following through on this so I don't chicken out <laughs> and say, I'm doing this Idle No More event because that was what Sylvia originally called it, the movement starting in Saskatchewan. So I thought, I want to build on those efforts because this has to be grassroots, and those ladies and what they're doing is grassroots. It has to be us doing it for us. So in, in course of planning the event, I thought, well, social media is amazing. And there's no reason why we shouldn't be on there blowing up Twitter and blowing up Facebook. Everyone is on there. So a couple of days before the event, I went on my event page and said, I'm going to be trying a tweet up, so give me some suggestions for a hashtag. And nobody had any suggestions at all. 
<laughs> so in an effort as part of the organization, I just put it out there as Idle No More. That's cool. So in the days after that, it sort of took off. Like you guys were using it to promote your event at uh, Louis Bowl in Alberta. Um, yes. But then people on online just sort of took it up. And then like oh, on Sunday, Monday, you know, all sorts of different tweets and messages having to do with indigenous rights or culture or indigenous politics. All of a sudden that I don't know more hashtag uh, started appearing in those messages. So what was it like for you once you started seeing that happen? I think I felt a little bit shy. <laughs> it made me feel a little bit shy because I had no idea. No idea that the event would have turned out as successfully as it did and no idea that it would continue beyond that through the hashtag. And your event, you guys, like, what were you expecting and then what actually happened with the event in Louisville? When I first started out, I thought I would be very happy if all I have is a room full of 10 people who want to listen to me go on and on about what this legislation means and why we need to do something about it. And what ended up happening was this amazing response from the Louisville community to host the event and to come in. And I had put out a call on my Facebook to say, listen, Aboriginal lawyers who are nearby, we need your help. Our people need our help. Inbox me if you have time. Because the other thing is, we're all doing this on our own time. None of us have a paid job in which we can dedicate our time and efforts to do this. It's all in our spare time. So I got an email from Janice McCocus. Uh, from Saddle Lake, and I also got a message from Dr. Palmiter saying, we'll help you, tell us what you need. So that was how that happened, how they came onto the agenda. And then other people started writing me and responding, saying, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? And then Louisville uh, Hobima has Hawk Radio Station. They came out and they broadcasted the event and they broadcast also online. So I thought this would help with the tweet-up. That was the idea of the tweet-up, thinking that people across the country listening online could also engage. So then, you know, uh, your event, you know, you were expecting 10 people in a room to hear you. Instead, you had, you know, 150 people come out, and then the hashtag takes off. And then yesterday, you know, you, you saw what happened in Parliament Hill. Um, what was going on in that in-between time with, with you, for instance, like between, uh, you, you know, the, the work you did on the weekend and then the, um, the actions that happened on Parliament Hill yesterday? Well, I think once I started to see really, um, a reflection in our communities about a need and a big desire to be a part of something, and also recognizing that there's a gap still between the leadership and us, whether it's just imagined or whether it's real, the fact that it is there. And it seemed like such an opportune time, like how could it have been planned better by the universe that the first day of the Chief's Assembly was the day of the vote of Bill C-45? So I thought, something has to be done. We have to try. We have to try to get our chiefs to go there, if for no reason, but to show us that they're listening. Mm -hmm. 
So that happened. So what, what does that mean to you now that, you know, the Chiefs are listening? And like Grand Chief Nipanak from Manitoba, for instance, went on national TV yesterday and said, you know, this started with people, young people talking on social media. What does that mean to you? Um, I think that um, it's about time. <laughs> Not to sound disrespectful or anything like that by any means. I mean, I know how, no, I don't know how, but I can imagine how busy and overwhelming it could be for leadership in our communities who have to deal with these issues in a reactionary way every day. And then we have people like us who are educated, who have the skills and knowledge, and the people in our community who want this knowledge, who want to be involved. So for that connection to have happened and acknowledgement of it was, was, was pretty amazing. And I've seen since then this huge takeoff even more on Facebook and on Twitter in regards to people, they're, they're so mobilized, I, I can't even believe it. I, I never imagined such an amazing response. So, Tanya, this is Ryan, uh, and, and thanks for joining us. So, we, we see the, uh, the positive momentum and, and the movement now uh, that Idle No More has, has helped uh, to create. What, what next? Where, where do you see... Uh, where do you see Idle No More as a movement uh, that, that you've, you've helped to create? Where do you see it going uh, next? And uh, are there other actions or, or gatherings that, that you're planning uh, with the Idle No More uh, campaign? Well, I think the important thing to remember is that the whole idea behind Idle No More in the beginning was that it be a grassroots movement. And, and that it be organic. And, and what that means is that the people in their communities take it as a tool to put themselves forward, to create ideas of their own action that reflect their own priorities and their own desire to articulate and express themselves in the manner that they feel is appropriate. So on there is a little bit of organized effort around that, though, and the next big thing is December the 10th, and that's when what I don't know more is doing this National Day of Action. So there's been a meeting space created on Facebook where people can go on their Idle No More page and find out what everyone's doing in their own areas across the country and, and discuss from there through that platform little committees to talk about what they need to do to get ready for this event and also to use that platform as a way of getting word out further. And that, that you say, that's, uh, I saw that on Facebook today. That's the national uh, Idle No More event that people locally can plan and rally around? Yes. And, and what is the name of that? Is it a Facebook page or just an event? It's a Facebook page right now. Okay. Um, and I understand that efforts are now underway to get it into a website instead because everybody recognizes that not everyone uses Facebook. Right. So we're, we're trying to put it out into a website that's more accessible, but the idea still being that it's a central meeting place where you can go there and see what people are doing, what they're saying, what kinds of things they want to talk about planning next. 
Okay. So this is the people part of the movement, right? Because there has to be a strategy in place where we address things politically, legally even, through the media, and most importantly, in our communities. They have to go home and tell the people what's going on. So, so December 10th is, is a national day for local communities to exercise and practice what I don't know more means for them. And the, the Facebook uh, page, uh, people will be able to like that page, join in the discussion, and uh, have their voices heard. And you're encouraging, uh, you're encouraging local communities to turn this into their own thing, just as an idea, but as a starting off point for that discussion to happen. Well, what are some ideas for stuff that people can do? Like, what would be some suggestions? Like, what sort of um, events could happen? Some of the things, uh, one of the things, a lot of people feel like, it seems like they feel like they just have this need for expression just for no reason other than assertion, to go out and make a public event all gather in one place to say, hey, you know, we're here. Your time is done treating us this way, you know, and and what happens beyond that, what kinds of activities they plan to move forward with that, I'm not sure, but some of the people are doing those kinds of events, like rallies and protests in in different urban areas. Some other areas might be doing stuff like teach-ins, where they get together and they have more of like an educational seminar talking about the different situations that we're facing um, in law and social issues and and stuff like that. You know, it's not limited to any activity or action. It's whatever they feel is necessary and appropriate for their community at this time. So some people on our... uh Twitter or uh, Ustream chat are saying that they want to do bingo on December 10th. What do you think? <laughs> Should we decolonize and leave bingo alone for once? Or what do you think? <laughs> well, if they're doing a bingo as a fundraising activity and in between calls they're announcing about some legislation or use all the bill, the legislation bill numbers, the bingo. bill for 10 or bill C45, then sure. <laughs> I love it. Radical bingo. That's hilarious. I think that could be a real positive step forward, a real you radical... You finally engage so many more people. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you want to come in bingo, you got to wear camouflage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Cool. Well, thanks a lot for joining us. And, uh, you know, uh, I just want to say, like, it's really amazing to hear of uh, people such as yourself and uh, Sylvia McAdam and uh, Janice Makokis and Pam Pometer and, you know, you guys who really sort of started this thing that provided the catalyst for the events this week that have really started a lot of conversations. So I just wanted to say, like, it's great to see that. And uh, we're really uh, inspired and really proud. Thank you. I, I also, too, want to say uh, thank you to you. And, and you know, I, I, I feel so refreshed to have such a balanced, wise voice to this uh, conversation. And, and yesterday when I was looking around, at the chiefs that were in the, the parliament buildings, I didn't see any women. And that always worries me. And having your voice and your leadership, along with your crew over there in Saskatchewan, uh, leading this movement for us and, and, and showing us the way, uh, I really greatly appreciate it. And, and, and I thank you for your work. And, and we'll keep in touch and we'll all keep moving forward. Awesome. Thanks so much. Okay. All right. Hi, hi. Bye. Hi, hi.
All right, that's our featured chat with Tanya Capo. Uh, very, very, very eloquent and uh, strong vision uh, from Tanya. And um, a fantastic group of people that that have emerged from the grassroots. Uh, and this, this for me, was, was part of the power of this conversation was uh, when we asked Tanya what she felt like when people started to listen to this hashtag and follow it, and not just follow it, but it's made its way around the world. It's also made its way to communities far and wide that are now planning on December 10th for the National Idle No More uh, Stand Up and Say Something uh, day that is starting to spread around the communities and uh, an incredible movement and an, and an example of not only what social networking can do, but what local uh, grassroots people can do in your community, what you can do. And I think that's the thing about this. It's easier, easy to be a Facebook warrior or a Twitter star, but it's another thing entirely to be left on your own at night when you're falling asleep and it's just you and your thoughts. It's just you and your brain. And you have to ask yourself every night, am I doing enough? Am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Am I living that good life? When life is good, uh, or no, when you live the good, when you live a good life, life is good. And we have to ask ourselves that all the time. And uh, it's interesting because uh, here's a group of people that said we can do more and we have resources and we can look at how to use those resources and we can all do that. And so when we talk about uh, our Indian Act chiefs and, and these types of uh, negative uh, connotations that, that relate to the way forward, uh, in direct uh, uh, conflict with the AFN or when we think about how to move forward out of this system, the proof's right here. It can be done and it's being done and it's an exciting, empowering time. So Chimigwech to uh, Tanya Capo and the team behind the Idle No More hashtag. Just an incredible movement and uh, thank you very much for joining the show. Next, we have our uh, guest, uh, Dr. Pam Palmiter, who's going to break down some of the legal uh, stuff behind Bill C-45, but also some of the other things that we've talked about, the First Nations Property Ownership Act and the implications of it. Um, to, put it to put it bluntly, I think Pam is one of the ones uh, out there in the lead in terms of being able to re-educate us on some of the places where we've gone wrong, some of the places we've gone right. This is Dr. Pam Palmiter right here on Red Man Laughing. Uh, we now have uh, Pam uh, Palmiter on the phone. She's on the line here joining with us. Tweet again, uh, share the link, reshare the link. This is the conversation that I think uh, the world has been waiting for. We're honored to, uh, to have Pam. The world has ceased to spin <laughs> now that you and I are talking to That's Pam and, uh, to, online. To the uh, CSIS uh, Canadian government spies that are uh, sitting uh, outside of my house, welcome. Would you like some tea? Okay, uh, so real quick, Pam, could you just introduce yourself so we can uh, make sure everyone can hear you? Uh, sure, Queen Deloise Pam Palmiter. I'm from the Mi'kmaq Nation and Eover Bar First Nation in New Brunswick. Okay, so people on Ustream, how is that? Is that working for you guys? Okay, they're talking about CSIS, so uh, I think they're going to be occupied with that for a little while. <laughs> uh, so first of all, I get. <laughs> I guess, um, you know, we'll ask you to put your lawyer hat on, first of all. A lot of people in the conversation today are asking for sort of Bill C-45 to be broken down into uh, plain language, language for the layperson. So I'm just wondering if you can talk to us about the parts um, 
of Bill C-45 that, you know, you and the other people who did the I Don't Know More event uh, take exception to? Um, well, primarily we take exception to all of the legislative initiatives. For C-45, uh, specifically, it's the changes to the Navigable Waters Act and, and the changes to the Indian Act. So the Navigable Waters Act, what the federal government is doing in very simple in very simple terms is vacating its jurisdiction over navigable waters, uh, lakes, rivers, that kind of thing. And why, sh why should we care about that? Well, very specifically because uh, the federal government has fiduciary obligations towards Indigenous peoples, very specific to Aboriginal and treaty rights. So think about all of our treaties, all of our Aboriginal rights, we've never surrendered any of the waters, uh, any of the navigable rivers, so they're all still within our control and jurisdiction. By vacating that jurisdiction and allowing it to be uh, provincial jurisdiction, that means that they're doing an end run around having to consult, accommodate, or get the consent of First Nations on anything that happens on our waterways. Okay, and what about the... So, uh the, the, the stuff to do with the land surrenders and the, uh, the Minister of Indian or Aboriginal Affairs? Okay, so, so the other part is a, it's a unilateral amendment to the Indian Act, uh, to the land surrender provisions, and essentially the way it works under the Indian Act now is that in order to surrender land on a reserve, and what a surrender means is that you give it up forever to the federal government, if, if it's an absolute surrender, um, and it's, you have to have a majority of the electors vote on that surrender, and then you have to have a majority of that majority vote in favor of the surrender. So some people call it a double majority. What the government is proposing to do is to reduce that threshold down to a majority of whoever shows up for the vote. So literally, you could have a handful of people from a 10,000-person reserve show up and surrender the entire reserve. And, and so the question is, why would they do that? Why would they lower this threshold? Well, what they're, what they're really planning for is making way for the First Nation Property Ownership Act, which they'll introduce in the new year, which allows the whole-scale um, sale of, of reserve lands. So if you have the ability of very few people to surrender the reserve, plus the act to be able to sell it to non-Indians, then you can essentially eliminate reserves very quickly with small numbers of people. And so now, like, Bill C-45, you know, is passing unamended, so that's, that's in law now. Yeah, yeah, according to uh, the Canadian government's perspective, yep. Okay. Could you talk to us broad, uh, more broadly about how you see this fitting into maybe uh, the federal government's legislative agenda? Yeah, for sure. Um, so most people are familiar with the 1969 white paper policy by the former Prime Minister Trudeau, and it was designed to once and for all assimilate Indians. So they were going to get rid of Indian Affairs, the Indian Act, Indian Reserves, uh, and treaty rights, and just get rid of the whole thing, and there would be no more, quote, Indian problem. Um, because of the backlash with the red paper and... 
um, the strong resistance that came all across the country. The federal government kind of backed away from that paper, at least, you know, vis-a-vis First Nations. So they said, okay, we're not going to go ahead with this policy agenda. What they have slowly done over time, though, is break up the pieces of that original white paper into tiny little tidbits of programs and policies and legal changes to still accomplish the same thing. What you see with the conservative government's suite of legislation is a very rapid and aggressive um, legal agenda, which will accomplish everything that the white paper set out to do, except in a whole bunch of different bills. So you have, you know, there's a whole variety of bills dealing with elections, water, matrimonial rural property, uh, First Nation property ownership, uh, Education Act, like you name it, and there's a whole suite of legislation, which their titles belay what's actually in the bill, you know, in, in, even including, you know, C-45 and, and the Transparency Act. What they all do, if you look at them as a whole, they all unilaterally transfer jurisdiction from the federal government to the provincial government. They transfer core areas of liability to First Nations without corresponding funding, and they uh, will, if you take them all together, at the end of the day, will result in reserves that are broken up, divided into individual uh, parcels for sale to non-Indians or pipelines or whoever wants to use them. And they will effectively accomplish what they wanted to do in 1969. So... In other words, this suite of legislation is the white paper 2012. Right, and and which is uh, which is essentially the same system that exists in the United States, correct? It, oh yeah, like if you're talking specifically about the First Nation Property Ownership Act, right. it's already been drafted, but it hasn't been shared, and it'll be introduced next year. It's the same as the Dawes Act about what happened in the United States, and. For anyone who doesn't know, uh, they have the same plan in the United States to break up reserves into individual lots for Indians, uh, selling it to them as though that would make them all wealthy, it would solve all their housing problems and poverty problems. What it did within two generations was make 90,000 Indians homeless. They lost two-thirds of all of their treaty lands, not just their reserve lands. And it literally devastated those communities. And although they tried to reverse the legislation later, uh, there's this principle in Canadian and U.S. law that once land goes to a third party, it's not it's not available for land claims or uh, for repatriation. So they have permanently lost the majority of their tribal land. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Uh, Ted Hohola, that was at the AMC Housing Conference uh, a week and a half ago or so, he talked about the study that he did uh, at Leech Lake, Minnesota. And what uh-huh. he talked about was when he went back to the old people, um, he asked about if they, could, if, like, if they could wave the magic wand and turn back time on, on the, the way that their community is, uh, went forward with this land ownership. Uh, he said that all of the old people said they wanted all the old agency land back. All of the land that ended up getting bought by non-native people uh, because of the legislation, we can see that happening here in Canada as well, right? If we went this way, potentially we get bought and sold right off of our own reserves. 
Yeah, and you can't ever undo it. That's the problem. And and the other problem is is that what what this act will do is completely end run Aboriginal and treaty rights and any duty to consult and accommodate. So think of it this way. If you're a First Nation and, you know, you're under First Nation property ownership act, everybody has their own little individual parcel, and Enbridge wants to lay a pipe right down the middle of your community, who do they have to talk to? They don't have to talk to chief and council. They don't have to talk to the traditional council. And they don't have to talk to any of the communities. All they have to do is pay a high enough, high enough price for the five people who have their plots of land on the strip where they want to lay their pipe. And that's a lot cheaper than having to talk to anybody else. So imagine the pressure that would be had for impoverished people to sell those lands for things like pipelines. So we see uh, C45 gets passed yesterday, almost, I mean, we're obviously shut out of, uh, of those discussions and those talks. When we think about the First Nation Property Ownership Act and, and these other types of legislation that are going forward, how do we, uh, as communities uh, across this country, how do we stop this? We're, the people on the ground on Twitter and on this Ustream chat are asking how do we prevent this legislation? What what are the concrete steps? Those at the AFN, uh, what what steps can we take? Or is this too little, too late? Uh, where are we at in terms of all of this stuff going forward? Well, I think first off, um, we knew that this was coming. Right. We knew the federal government had told AFN all about the legislation long before it was introduced. We knew it was coming. They started introducing it long before the Crown First Nation gathering. But we kind of, it was like some people had blinders on. They didn't want to see it. They didn't want to deal with it. It was too overwhelming. And now, of course, we're at the last minute. You know, we're at the kind of midnight hour trying to deal with all of this stuff. That being said, though, um, the our sovereignty and jurisdiction and governing systems, trade networks, and laws have never been displaced. They have been temporarily interfered with in, in various ways in different parts of the country, but it, ha it has never been displaced. So our laws and our sovereignty are paramount. But the thing about that is you actually have to live it. You can't just assert it. Right. So First Nations have to live and exercise their own lawmaking powers and their own sovereignty over their territories. And I don't just mean their reserves, I mean their traditional territories. And let Canada and the provinces react to that instead of the other way around. Uh, specific to the question, though, about what is it that we can do, I think there's a lot that we can do, both as you know, leaders and community members. I think we have to make our voices heard that we don't accept it, I think, you know, whether it be public declarations, written declarations, and actions on the ground that say we don't recognize your legal authority to legislate anything with regards to First Nations people without our free, informed, and prior consent. Oh, like clearly, that's in the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. That's an in, uh, reflective of our inherent rights and sovereignty, and I think we have to be very focused on that and very clear. So what can and, that look like? Like, um, like what would, it, yeah, what yeah, would be a way to sort of, you know, to live that out, to, to sort of, you know, what type of action would actually display that? 
Well, what I'm saying, so what we're doing now, we're informing communities about what's happening and asking that different communities make those kinds of declarations. Because when you make a declaration either of law or um, of jurisdiction over your territory, you're clearly saying you can go ahead in your own system and go ahead, Canada, and write whatever laws on a piece of paper you want to, that doesn't mean that that unilateral action is going to apply in our territories. And I think we have to make official declarations that they don't apply in our territories. But I think it's also important to help inform Canadians, and you can do that via social media, by speaking out, and by rejecting those laws and processes. Um, Many of the community members are saying we need to show that Canada's unilateral actions have consequences. If you're going to purport to screw with our lives with the Indian Act and every assimilatory policy they've ever created and then have the audacity to think you can pass more legislation to make it even worse, then there will be consequences, not for Canadians, but for Canada and its economic system. And I think there's ways of, of having a strategic, coordinated, escalating plan of showing them what those consequences are. So with the action that happened yesterday with the chiefs on Parliament Hill, uh, they, they go outside the House uh, chamber, uh, they speak to one of the ministers, you know, Chief Fox spoke very eloquently about, you know, this is the line in the yeah. sand, so to speak. Does that action, yeah. is, does that fulfill what you're talking about? Is that is that one of the ways to assert ourselves our law yeah I, I like i there's there's many different escalating ways of doing it so that's a very peaceful calm way of doing it but it's also getting it on the record part of the problem is canada goes ahead and does all of these things and provinces aren't off the hook either and we don't say anything there might be one or two people that you know speak out in the public but we We've got to start stacking our record because if we're going to challenge this in the court, and that's a potential option that we're considering as well, challenging this uh, legislative action, we have to have evidence on the record that we oppose it, and not just within their systems but within our systems. Or if we go to the United Nations, we have to continually show a clear record where we reject their jurisdiction and assert our own and and keep saying that over and over and over again. And not just the leaders, but the communities as well. So how important do you think is the part of this whole I don't know more movement? Like obviously a big part of it is dealing with the federal government or, you know, like engaging in this campaign to, to assert our rights and, you know, this sort of like uh -huh. external kind of relationship. But what we were talking about earlier is that sort of at least we think that a, a big part of the I don't know more campaign should be internally and revitalizing language, revitalizing uh, culture, revitalizing the connection to the land. How much of that is a part of it uh, from your perspective? Well, for me, I think what we do on a go-forward basis, so, so what I'm talking about is a revolution, but a comprehensive revolution. So a revolution in the way we think, so a decolonizing of, you know, our minds and everything that we've been taught, a reconnection with the lands, our culture and languages, that, that would be a significant revolution in and of itself. Um, if we... 
only just lived up to our responsibilities as indigenous people, say in Mi'kmaq, Maliseet, Mohawk, to our lands, waters, and our people, we wouldn't be in this position that we're in. So we own some of the responsibility here for not having stood up for our people a lot sooner. But the revolution is both internal and external. We also have to withdraw from Canada's processes because they... They desperately want us at their negotiating table to surrender our land. They desperately want us to sign over jurisdiction for things like education. And if we don't participate in those processes, then we're detaching ourselves from the ongoing colonization. So I think it's got to be both internal and external at the same time. But if you detach from those uh, processes, like, don't you just risk having them proceed wholesale uh, just without your involvement anyway? Well, what are they doing right now? That's what, yeah, well, that's what I was just going to say. That's what they are doing right yeah. now, right? So Yeah, exactly. That's what they're doing right now. And it shows, really, just how they're asserting their power or, you know, their perceived power to do whatever it is they want. So if they're doing that anyway... Why give them what it is they want by participating in their processes? Because their primary processes across this country are looking to surrender our lands because they know they don't have good title without us surrendering our Aboriginal and treaty rights to those lands. And so that's why they're so desperate to have all of these negotiating tables for us to finally surrender our lands in exchange for some money and stuff but to solidify their sovereignty and jurisdiction in this territory. And it's up to us whether we participate in that. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. So what's your take, just watching what happened on Parliament Hill yesterday, what were you thinking of the Chiefs and what they did? Um, I, I was kind of of a mixed mind, um, because I have a very different idea of, of kind of what direct action on the ground is. I think what Chief Fox did by going into Parliament and, and what a Grand Chief Madabi and Chief Day did, like that's what I'm talking about. We can stand on the steps of any building anywhere in Canada and make speeches, you know, and I think part, you know, part of that is about inspiring people and informing Canadians and bringing attention to the issues, so it's important. But we've got to go beyond what we've done and take it a step further. And I think when the chiefs went into Parliament, they're taking it a step further to show how serious they are. And that when we say, if you're going to talk about our issues, we need to be there, they actually put that kind of uh, value into action. And I think we need to do that more and more. And how about what's going on in Ottawa today? The discussions, you know, the talk that's happening. Mm. What's your take on all that? Um, well, part of what kind of spurred on the protest yesterday, at least, you know, I can't speak for Chief Fox, but the discussions that he and I had is, you know, we come to this assembly and here it is. Everybody's sitting around doing the same thing as usual, listening to speeches, watching presentations, while government is legislating our lives away. And at least for he and I, we were so frustrated. We said, we've got to do something about this. And then we kind of tried to organize this protest. And, and so I can't help but have that same feeling today that, you know, we're back with AFN and, 
it's business as usual, uh, but not for everybody. So, you know, that's, there's a very clear difference. You know, the AFN is proceeding as usual, but there are core groups uh, that are organizing, uh, you know, a strategic plan on what to do next. And I think that work that's happening outside of the AFM process is extremely critical because it's about connecting grassroots with the leaders again and coming up with a plan and saying, here's how we're going to take action on everybody's behalf. I think there was some uh, some hints and some, some light talk from Chief Day about uh, looking at direct act, direct action possibly and and mm-hmm. taking those steps forward. December tenth is uh, the Idle No More National Day, which we're you know we're trying to. Tanya uh, Kappa was just telling us about that. Yeah, which we're we're trying to share the message that you know this will be a day where you're able to uh, gather in your home communities and uh, start to open up this discussion locally. Going forward, where where do you go from here? I mean, you're you know, highly sought after in terms of your speaking and, and educating and re-educating us. But what do you, for, for, for Pam Palmeter, when you lay in bed at night by yourself, what do you see as the way forward? What is the, what is the future you envision if you had a magic wand? What do you see happening? Well, my kind of magic wand future is this whole scale revolution, both the internal and the external stuff because I think it all has to happen at the same time. Um, If we just do a bunch of protests and stop some legislation, and we're even successful, but we don't do anything else, we're still going to have languages that are at risk of extinction, children in care, people in prisons, highest suicide rates, poverty. We have to have a whole-scale revolution and say, everything stops now until we deal with this injustice. And if that means we have to stop certain economic drivers from happening until we get their attention, um, then those are the kinds of things that we have to do. And I I guess my magic wand would be that that fire of our ancestors who are willing to give up their lives to protect our culture and our lands uh, and our people for future generations. If that fire can be relit in our people then whether or not the politicians and the leaders all come on board or don't, it won't matter because the real power and the real decision makers in First Nations are the people. And I think if we can inspire them to action, then all of the other stuff will be will be set aside. Then we will be focused on eating healthy, living right, treating, you know, trying to revitalize our cultures for a specific purpose, and it's to revitalize our nation. And all the other kind of political bickering and whatever it is just won't matter anymore. So uh, somebody on uh, Facebook, Jerry Daniels, a buddy of mine, he's asking uh, about the FAI in uh, the Framework Agreement Initiative in Manitoba, which was uh, in the the 90s and 2000s. Um, but to me, it, it brings to mind like a, a broader question to you, which is like, who are the communities who are doing it? Like, which communities do you see who are sort of living out their culture and their law in a way that is meaningful? Like, um, you know, do you think that with the Dakota communities in southwestern uh, Manitoba and 
uh, Saskatchewan have done around opting out is good. Do you think that, you know, there's other communities, you know, in the Haudenosaunee communities? Are there Mi'kmaq communities like Eskasoni on the um, East Coast? Like, who who's really doing it, in your opinion? Well, I think there's, I mean, there's no one community that's, that's doing it all in all ways at all times. But there, but there are communities scattered across this country that more and more are asserting their sovereignty and jurisdiction and revitalizing their culture and language. So, you know, I, I can't help but always highlight the Haudenosaunee because they are, they are secure, unwavering, unconditional sovereignists. They believe in their sovereignty, they believe in their laws, and they will defend them. And some of those communities have just gone ahead and and done certain things. So if they, you know, they ask, you know, the federal government for funding for a firehouse or a school or policing, and they say no, they just do it anyway. You know, if it's if it's if it's gaming, for example, they just do it anyway. Uh, the same with you know the tobacco trade, which they've been engaged in for thousands of years. They do it anyway. Um, and that's what sovereignty and jurisdiction is all about. Not the, the activity per se, but the, just doing it and making government respond to you if they do it all. But then there's other communities who, you know, may not be engaged in the economic sovereignty part of it, but are incorporating language and culture in everything they do. So, I mean, there's so many Cree communities spread out that include traditions and language in all of their schooling, in their signing, uh, you know, in their signage, uh, everything that their communities do. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing to actually see. Um, sometimes what we see in the media is just the economic stuff, you know, when people are asserting their legal rights or whatever. But it's that cultural aspect. And that stuff actually brings huge dividends. People are always saying it's education and economic development that's going to save us. But in actual fact, what has drastic impacts on things like suicide and children in care are those communities who have taken significant steps forward in revitalizing their language, their culture, and their sense of uh, jurisdiction and control over their communities. And that's been backed up by the research. So to me, I think that's most important. All right. Well, thanks a lot for your time, uh, Dr. Dr. Pam Palmiter. Pleasure to have you. And uh, I'm sure everybody on uh, Ustream enjoyed hearing from you. Oh, well, thanks, you guys, for having me. I'm big fans of you both. Okay, we got you. Thanks, Pam. Cool. Bye. So uh, it's been uh, quite a journey today, an odyssey, if you will. We've heard from a lot of uh, different people. A couple of things I was thinking of um, as Pam was talking to us there. Um, one is, you know, in, in spite of like the business as usual at AFN, some amazing stuff does happen there. Carly Johnson, 17-year-old Mi'kmaq woman who speaks fluent in her language, uh, addressed the assembly yesterday and talked about how they're bringing back the language, how they have brought it back. Mm. Uh, your phone's ringing, so I'm not sure if we're still broadcasting. Anyway. I think we are, yeah. She spoke about how they have brought back the language through language immersion and, you know, her plan to become the first Mi'kmaq speaking doctor. And it was very, very inspirational. And so I, I, I tweeted a link to that. If you guys take a look on my Twitter page, there's a link to that video. It's about 10 minutes long, but it's an amazing speech. And I, met, I actually met her when I was out in Eskasoni earlier this year. 
and she's just like a fantastic young person. And then the other thing that I was thinking is that uh, Walpole Island are kind of, they've got an interesting approach where the culture and then the sovereignty and the, the, the education are all coming together with this language program that they run. So they've created a, a language immersion program in Anishinaabe Moen, where they're educating 20 teachers right now to speak the language. And these are adults who grew up without the language, but are now like conversationally adept at speaking the Ojibwe language. And they're going to start up a school. And these are going to be the teachers in the new school to run an immersion school hmm. for the language, right? And then they're going to follow that cohort up uh, through the different grades all the way to graduation and, and build up an institution in the language. But what's really interesting about it is that they're paying for it out of their own source revenue, the own money that they make yeah. through you know farming and some of the other uh, economic activities that they have on their reserve. And to me, like that's a really shining example of how to like live out you know your your law and your own internal systems, but also bring back the culture. Because like at the end of the day, like if the language is important to us, then we should we should make it happen. Like we shouldn't be asking. Like the federal government's never going to fucking pay to save our language. Right. They're not going to bring it back. The same thing with our culture. They're not gonna. They're not gonna pay to bring it back, or they're not gonna do that work for us. So if, if if those things are important to us, and they are important to me, like especially the spirituality, the language, and you know the traditional way of life, those things are really important to me. Yeah. So I'd like to see people like really, really focus on that and rededicate ourselves towards strengthening uh, those parts of our community. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that I uh, one of the conversations and people are, are already tweeting it and, and writing it on the chat was what about urban? Uh, what about urban people that don't live on the reserve? That's that's another thing. I mean, I'm I'm urban. I don't live on a reserve, but I can go learn my language if I want. And uh, I think that the time for putting up those blocks in front of ourselves is over. I think that uh, yeah. uh, that now more than ever. But we're doing it. Like we have a, the language program here in yeah. inner city Winnipeg. And honestly, if we want the language to survive the yeah. next hundred years, it's going to have to survive in the city because right. that's where the people are. Right. Right. And it's good to have communities like, you know, Lac Lacroix or Ebb and Flow or, you know, Esgasoni that do speak the language and have it strong there. Right. That's really yeah. good. That's really important. Yeah. But if we want it to be like a really viable language that has, you know, extensive usage for all of them, not just Nishnabemwen, but also Mi'kmaq and, you know, the Haudenosaunee languages, but in order to make them really survive, and really sing and really thrive we have to do it in the urban environment and and i think i think uh from from what i reflected on after talking with uh musquanaquid was the idea that it is individual and so it, there's a real hard hard thing that's gonna have to happen for yeah. all of us and it's, it's happening like with it's me. easy to say i don't know more yeah. let's make our nation rise but it's much more difficult to build the habits into your daily day to your day-to-day -day life yeah. that are actually going to result in you taking up the language, taking up the culture, and really walking the way of life. That, and I think I, that's why I asked that question of Pam about when you lay in bed at night by yourself and you're just, you, you only have your You were thoughts. just thinking about her laying no, in no, bed no, late no. at night. Come on, <laughs> no, no, but uh, what, what are you left with? You're left with yourself. So we only have ourselves to look at in the mirror Sometimes when we think about are we doing enough, are, are we really dedicating or rededicating ourselves to this movement as a whole? And, and those are the questions that I think that, you know, we have to ask ourselves is, is uh, you know, sure, it's, it's good enough to say uh, what about this or what about that? But all of this change in this movement is going to be individual and we bring ourselves to a collective whole. 
I need people to go. People are just asking me to plug the app real quick. So Nietzsche is an app for uh, Anishinaabe Moen translation on iOS. Mm -hmm. It's on iPad, iPhone. It's out there. With a couple taps, you can uh, quickly build a sentence. Here. So right here, I'm building a sentence. One. I have two, to go pick up my kids. Uh, and then <laughs> Zegaziwag, the translation appears. So that's a translation for. Uh, well, we uh, are, or they are afraid, right? Do, do you want to... Uh, it's keep, on the App Store. Do you now wanna, available. Do you want to keep this going and I'll be back in seven or eight minutes? Um, I think that we're, we're good. Okay. And uh, I think we should invite people to continue talking to us on Twitter and on Facebook and uh, refer people to download um, your app. Sure. The uh, Ryan McMahon comedy app is something you can download and put on your uh, iOS or Android device. And by the way, it has the my Ustream channel on the app, so you could have, I didn't, I forgot to tell you this, but you could have tuned into the show uh, with the app uh, online, get both apps, and, and that's all. Um, my kids uh, are going to be standing outside the school Okay, crying. people are asking for a closing honor song, so we'll uh, take her home. Uh, Go ahead. Go. You ain't nothing but a hound dog, <laughs> running all the time. Come on, take the money and run. <laughs> Uh, it, somebody said we're off air anyway. This is, uh... Okay. Yeah. See you guys later. The, uh, discussion, the, uh, the discussion will continue. Uh, thank you all for, uh, tuning in and joining us here. And, uh, we, we might, uh, we might be doing this, uh, we might be doing this, uh, a little bit more, uh, in the future. Everyone can do this. Uh, we all have a voice. We all have a story to tell. And we're, uh, we're all uh, helping each other rise. And we're all helping each other uh, to move forward. And it's all our responsibility uh, for ourselves, our families, our kids, our communities, and our nations. We are all one. Aho. 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 All right, there it is. This is uh, that was uh, that was it. That's episode five of Red Band Laughing. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, leave your questions and comments, concerns, right on the website redmanlaughing.com. You can email us info at redmanlaughing.com. You can also get the app for your mobile device. Get the Ryan McMahon comedy app. We'll see you again. There's no easy way forward, but we're all a part of the solution, and that's the message that I wanted to share today. We all have a part in this going forward, and we all have a stake in it. And the stake is with our families, with our communities, with our nations. And that's how big it is, and that's how important it is. So don't lose sight of that. It's going to be difficult, and there's no easy way. And if it were easy, our ancestors would have did it a long time ago for us. So we are here. We're presented with these cards, and we need to play our hand. And I think it's our move. I think it's clear that it's our turn. So, with that going forward, miigwech.